All right, well, uh, we're going to dive right in. Uh, the amount of things that we need advice on in life is insane. I've uh, been blessed to be part of the church since it started in 2016, uh, and I, I think it's safe to say uh, that one of the, the main themes that happens within a church uh, is people are sharing and encouraging one another and shepherding one another and comforting one another and pushing one another. And I'm just going to give a few examples of different things throughout the years that have been brought up to kind of just show the fact that we all need to have counsel and direction and encouragement and shepherding in life. And so I'm just going to rifle through some things to help us understand, man, we really do need help in life from the beginning to end. And so uh, in 2016, I moved down here, and I remember over Christmas break, one of my friends from uh, back home in Iowa reached out and said, hey, we should grab coffee. And so we went and grabbed coffee, uh, and, and we're sitting there, and we're talking, and, and there's just this like sudden shift in the conversation where he says, Nick, uh, I believe that I'm gay. You're the first person that I've told, and I'm not sure what to do. We, we all need to have counsel in life. I remember the year after that, uh, a guy that I spent a lot of time with, uh, doing music stuff with, and just really enjoyed friendship with him, uh, and he was struggling with like purpose and direction, and he said, I have a ton of passion for things that sadly will not make me any money. And so what do I do with that? Like, how do, am I going to be a guy who does like eight to five jobs and, and hate it all day long? And, and then I just get to the end of the day and then I can do what I want to do? Or, or, or how do I handle this? The third year down here, there was a guy that I ran with a lot. And, and he said, I just got out of this relationship. Uh, he was a transfer student. And he said, uh, man, it, it was a tough relationship. We definitely crossed every boundary that we could cross. Uh, it, it wasn't healthy. Uh, that was the center of the relationship. And I just keep missing her, though I know it probably wasn't the healthiest. And is that feeling going to last forever? Or, or is it going to go away? And he was trying to navigate how to carry that every day while he's going to class. And then uh, the year after that, uh, there was an individual who's excited. They're like, man, I'm ready to get married. But before I do, like, would you give this like a green light? Pretty much is what he was asking. He's like, do you see this as wise? It's like, I'm young. I'm excited. I want to get married. What do you think? Another person asking, like, what's okay in dating? Uh, it was a car ride back from a wedding, uh, and he was just asking, uh, what's appropriate to do in a dating relationship when it comes to, like, physical boundaries? Like, is it just handholds, Christian side hugs? What are we allowed to do where we don't have to have, like, conviction? And, uh, you know, just talked him through some things on that. The year after that, this one is heavy, there was a student in our ministry that passed away in his sleep. A beloved student in our college ministry knew him well. Some people in this room knew him well. And after that happened, people were like, what do we do with grief? Like, are we supposed to feel it, sit in it, and just move on? How do we handle grief? Or, or do we just do, put our head down and do what we need to do? The year after that, there was some conflict in the church, and people were like, okay, well, what do we do when our leaders are in conflict? Like, like how do, who do we follow after? How do we process that? Like, this leader or that leader? I'm not sure. What do we do with that? I work part-time sometimes in the counseling setting as well. And last year when I was in that setting, there was an individual who was just sharing, like, man, I have this hopeless feeling every day when I'm waking up. Like, it feels like I'm stuck, glued to the bed. What do I do with that? How do I get motivated when I don't feel that? There's a lot of big questions we're always asking, whether we're asking them out loud or asking them in our interior. We're, we're struggling many times to answer these big questions in life. And sometimes it's, it's heart-level stuff. Other times it's theological stuff. What do I do with this belief? How do I uh, read the Bible? Sometimes it's that, but a lot of times it's, it's this very weighty, heart thing that we're just wrestling with. We have a lot of that in life, don't we? And it makes sense to have those. It makes sense to have those questions because as we live life on earth, we're all living life for the first time, right? Like we, we didn't uh, come into life out of choice. We didn't come into life out of a plan. We, we just were here suddenly. And then from zero through 
99, we're, we're trying to figure out in each phase, how then should we live? And a lot of people in the world, like throughout the world, they're, they're saying, man, I want to live my best life because they know, well, there's probably just one, and so I want to live the best life I can. And some Christians, some Christians in here, myself included, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, Lord, how do I glorify you with everything I say and do in life? And I'm asking, like, man, uh, newly married, new dad, how do I handle this well, Lord? We need to be shepherded. We, we see that all around us. Our hearts are craving counsel and guidance. It's in our DNA. And so, like, just look at a toddler. They're, they're trying to figure out how to walk. How do they figure it out? Not on their own. They look to people around them. They say, all right, well, this person seems to be putting that leg after that leg. They start trying that. They struggle with it. They struggle with it. People help them. People like are on the other side of the tile. They're like, come here, you can do it. Like kids trying to figure out how to live. When we're adolescents, it's like, oh, shoot, what's this like facial hair coming up right here? How do I shave? Need to get rid of that. Puberty's too soon right now. Like, I don't want to deal with this. When we're in high school, it's how do I do community? Uh, like, who, who am I supposed to do life with? And then in college, if you're a freshman, you're like, first day on campus, it's like, okay, so how do I get to this class that's on this side of campus and then that class on the other side of campus and not be late? Like, I don't know. It seems like it's impossible trying to figure it out, asking questions, apologizing to professors. And then if we're new to the city, we're trying to figure out the city map. Like, where do we eat? Where do we not eat? Like, what do the local people say is good? We're always looking around us trying to figure out how to live. Sometimes we raise our hand and we ask the question, and other times we do not. We, we bury the hand, and it's like, well, I'm just going to figure this out on my own. Sometimes we use mentors. Sometimes we use parents. Sometimes we use friends. Sometimes we use people in the church. Other times it's just search engine trying to figure it out. But the thing is, we, we all have this wrestle. We don't always like to admit it, but we're all trying to figure out what the crap we're supposed to do at each stage we're getting into. A lot of times we're just looking, okay, what are the people around me doing? That's our typical pattern. And so this evening we're going to be in John 10 looking at Jesus where he makes this I am statement where he says, I am the good shepherd. We're, we're going to be unpacking this topic of why Jesus as good shepherd matters. And I believe it's a compelling topic to be looking at, because not only is it in the text, but it's also something that logically makes so much sense. Like, it makes so much sense for the created being to be going to the creator for understanding how to live. In every industry, outside of being a human being, we look to the creator of the thing to understand how the created thing is supposed to work. And so tonight, we're going to do that in John 10 and have understanding from the Lord, okay, how then should we live? How should we be guided through life? And we're going to see that Jesus is a good shepherd and he's worth following. And so with that in mind, let's go to the shepherd, pray, and then we're going to look in his word so that we can understand how to answer some of these questions. And so, Lord, uh, we just thank you that uh, this is an exciting weekend. Uh, fall retreat is something that uh, we look forward to every year, Lord, because we see your hand uh, just working in a neat way. Uh, and God, I pray that tonight as we're opening up an old text, uh, that we would just uh, have understanding from your spirit uh, in how to live in our day now, Lord. And we just uh, yeah, pray that your hand would be on the next few minutes so that this is stuff from your word, uh, not stuff uh, just coming out of my mouth without thought. And so, Lord, uh, just yeah, guide this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we enjoy Bibles out. It's all company, so grab yours if you have it and turn to John 10 if you're not there. And if you don't have it with you, it should be up on the screen. Uh, and so if it's not up there, it's probably my fault. So don't blame Sammy. You can blame me. And so uh, in John 10, though, uh, we're going to be opening up this statement of the Lord where he's saying, I am the good shepherd. But, but how do we get here? So far in this series, we've been looking at these different statements from Christ where he's clarifying things about himself. And so the first week in the series, correct me if I'm wrong, but we were hitting on I am who I am, which is Jesus relaying, I'm God. Like, I am the great I am that was talked about in the Old Testament. 
the week after that, Jesus clarifying, I am the bread of life, meaning I'm the food that you hunger for. You're all hungry. You want to know where you're satisfied. It's in me. The week after that, I am the light of the world. Jesus saying, I'm the beacon of hope amid darkness. Last week, Zach was talking about how Jesus is the door. It's kind of a confusing one, and it's also tied to this text where Jesus is sharing more about himself as the shepherd. And from last week, Zach was sharing how Jesus is our entrance into relationship with God. It's through the work of Christ that we enter the sheepfold to meet with him. And this week in John 10, we're looking at why Jesus is the good shepherd matters. And so the outline should be on the screen Why Jesus is the good shepherd matters. First, we're going to look at he matters because we are in desperate need of a good shepherd. And secondly, we're going to look at Jesus as our good shepherd changes everything. And so let's read John 10, verses 11 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. That's why it's in red if your Bible has red letters. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? John 10 reveals four reasons why we are in desperate need of a good shepherd. And the first humbling reason that we need a good shepherd is because we are sheep. We're sheep. We see this in the text. Uh, In verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. We see in verse 16, he says, There will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is delineating the difference between his hearers, humans of his day, and himself. He's clarifying there is actually one flock, like, like one people of God, and there's only one shepherd. In plain English, well, not English, he's trying to help them see, like, okay, there's a difference between this man who's speaking to us and us as a people. And that was new to their ears in many regards because they had many shepherds throughout their history. It was probably confusing to them, alarming to them, and to those other religious leaders, frustrating for them to hear that. And so Jesus is delineating the difference between him and us And whether it's liked or not, he's saying, yeah, I'm going to be the guide. I'm going to be the leader, the sustainer. And to those who are his sheep, he's saying, you're going to follow after me. And so we we desperately need a good shepherd because we are sheep and not the shepherd. And so by default, we need a guide because, well, we don't know where we're going without one. Ezekiel 34, which is a chapter in a book that we're going to be referencing a good bit through the night, shows us what sort of sheep we are. In verse 11 and 12 of Ezekiel 34, the prophet is writing, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places that they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. What we're seeing there is we we desperately need a good shepherd, not just because we're sheep, but because we are sheep that wander. Right? In in verse 11 and 12, it's talking about how, how they've been scattered how they're searching around for food. They're, they're searching for a leader. 
They're in need of rescue. They're caught in darkness, and they need a faithful guide. And so in Christ, there's a good shepherd who's ready to lead because he is the shepherd, and we are to follow. We need a good shepherd because we are the sheep and not the shepherd. The second reason we desperately need a good shepherd is found in John 10, verses 12 and 13. In 12, it says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. We desperately need a good shepherd because worldly shepherds fall short. There's different types of worldly shepherds. But a common trait of them all is that they all fall short. The first uh, worldly shepherd that's being referenced here in the text would be those that are the hired hands. In verse 12, it talks about these hired hands that are are paid, they're, they're laborers. And what do they do when the wolf comes? They run. In verse 13, it says that they care nothing for the sheep. Some in the world are shepherds that are just hired hands, just, just trying to get a paycheck, not really caring about the heart. That's, that's within the faith. That's beyond the faith. There, there's people in this world who fit that mold. There's a, another group of worldly shepherds that if we follow after them, we're going to be led astray. We can see this in Ezekiel 34. These are ill-motivated and corrupt shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 1 to 6, it says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all of the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. The leadership of Israel throughout much of their history was corrupt because they were using their position for their own benefit. They were taking advantage of the sheep. They were neglecting the sheep. They were not feeding the sheep and they were not caring for the sheep when they were hurting. Like imagine if there was a hospital that was in existence and people saw that on the horizon and like something crazy happens and they're like, go to the hospital and then you get there and there's no one there to care for you or you get there and there's people there but they don't care for you. That's what was going on. There was corrupt leadership within the household of God and they were leading people astray. They were corrupt shepherds. Worldly shepherds sometimes are corrupt other worldly shepherds, and we can see this in the whole frame of Scripture, are well-intentioned and godly shepherds, but limited shepherds. And so think of the Apostle Paul, great guy, great missionary, the best missionary ever. But what did he do? He died. He had limits. There's a great guy, Solomon, wrote a lot of great Proverbs. What did he do? He had some rough years where he was just driving after what he wanted to do. He was limited in wisdom. We can look throughout church history. We can look within our own church. We can look at any church and see that every church is being led by a limited shepherd. They're godly, but they're also worldly in that they're in this world. And in this world, there's brokenness. And because there's brokenness, they're limited. Make sense? Like, so we can't put our hope in a worldly shepherd ever Because a worldly shepherd is always going to have a limit, or a worldly shepherd is going to be corrupt, or a worldly shepherd is going to be ill-motived and leading us astray. And so why do we desperately need a good shepherd in our life? Because there's something really beautiful about our shepherd being out of this world, but also someone who has experienced this world. He can relate to us, but he's also beyond us. And so Jesus, as a good shepherd, really makes a lot of sense. And maybe you're someone who's, who's put faith or trust in an earthly shepherd before, and you're like, yeah, that didn't go well. Well, that's why we put our hope in the good shepherd first, foremost. 
And yeah, we should hold the people around us to a godly standard that are, are leading us, but we also have to understand that there is going to be times where they say or do things that are not helpful. They say or do things that are not godly. And so that's why it's so important for those godly shepherds who are limited to also be prioritizing Christ as their good shepherd, or else they're just going to be leading the whole flock astray. We desperately need a good shepherd because worldly shepherds always fall short. The third reason we need a good shepherd is because hungry wolves are waiting. Look at verse 12 again. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The world is full of wolves that are trying to keep the good shepherd from his good work. The world's full of wolves that are trying to go against the, the work of God throughout churches, throughout individuals. And so we desperately need a good shepherd because as we're living life in this world, there are wolves that are competing against him. And so I, I kind of just like created three wolf categories. The ultimate wolf, Satan. First Peter, we read about him. He's prowling around like a, a roaring lion. Like he's doing everything he can to destruct the work of God. He's fighting against scripture. He's fighting against uh, the, the works that are happening. Maybe in your heart, in your life. He's fighting against that. He's the ultimate wolf. There's another wolf that's the, the outer wolf, we'll call that would be individuals that are just working under darkness, whether they know it or not, and it's leading people who are seeking after Christ maybe away from him. Could be co-workers, could be people in school, could be parents, could be friends. There, there's wolves within the church and outside of the church that can steer us off course, snatch us, scatter us. You've probably watched some of your friends experience some sort of outer wolf in that way. And then I also, uh, just in thinking on this, is like, well, there's also our inner wolf. And what I mean by that is like we have our flesh. Because we're living in a broken world, we're never going to have perfect holiness until we're with the Father in heaven, right? And so in the, the new earth. And so it's important for us to be looking to Christ as the good shepherd, like we desperately need him because even within ourselves, our own flesh is fighting against us, right? That's why as we follow after Christ and, and commit our lives to him, we experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that helps give us discernment and who to listen to, who not to listen to, what decisions to make in what way. And so we have to be on guard for these wolves and desperately seeking after Christ. The fourth reason we need a good shepherd is because a wild and rocky valley surrounds us. This is inferred in verse 1. So yes, we're rewinding to the beginning of the chapter, but in, in verse 1 of chapter 10 in John, it says, Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. The word we're zooming in on there is sheepfold. The sheepfold exists because the climate of the world that we live in is broken. And there must be a refuge for us to find hope in. And so we desperately need the good shepherd in our life to be leading us because we're in a world that is full of ravines and valleys and rocky moments. And so if you're someone who's been following after Christ for years, there's, there's probably something really hard that happened even in those years. And you'd say, yeah, God's still good, but man, that was so hard watching grandma pass away. Or, or it was so good following after Christ, but then I had this weird moment of doubt and I, I struggled with it and I didn't know what to do. There's rocky things that happen because, I mean, a lot of life, sure, there might be some mountain highs. There's the wedding day moments, but there's also a whole bunch of valley. And it's in that valley that we really need the good shepherd. We desperately need him because life has, for the most part, more valley than it does peak, right? And so we must have the sheepfold in our life. We must have Christ guiding us because we all have bad days, tragedy, trauma, drama. We hit those valleys, those rocky moments. And so hopefully we're seeing we desperately need a good shepherd. And so how does Jesus as our good shepherd change everything? Let's look at verses 
14 and 15. In 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. He's repeating himself here for emphasis. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. We're going to be looking at four ways that Jesus, our good shepherd, changes everything. The first way we see Jesus changing everything is at the beginning of verse 14, where he says again, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is signaling again to those listening, I am going to lead now. The first way that Jesus changes everything is because he leads us. Everything becomes different when we start to be led by the creator of all. Everything begins to be different because his spirit is within us, guiding us because of the work of the good shepherd. He's letting his disciples, the religious leaders, know there's a changing of the guard. I'm the good shepherd, meaning it's not someone else. In verse 19, we'll just jump here real quick. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. These sort of words were what was creating that division. Because they didn't like it. Because they had been the leadership. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, like, no, he did not just say that. Like, he's the good shepherd. Jesus is signaling, hey, I'm going to lead us. We have this need for a good shepherd in our life. We've, we've seen that. And Jesus, he changes everything because as we're following after him, we have a new leader. It's not us. It's not mom. It's not dad. It's not pastor. It's not mentor, it's not counselor, it's the king of kings and lord of lords is actually leading me now. As we enter through the fold, that's what happens. Jesus came to replace wayward shepherds. This was a beautiful work of Christ because he was confirming all these prophecies of the Old Testament. Right As we look at uh, Jesus, he came as the more truthful Abraham. Jesus came as the more patient Moses. He came as the more faithful David. He came as the more hopeful Jonah. Jesus came to be the picture of what Psalm 23 paints. Life with the good shepherd. And so in Christ, he affirms, I'm the good shepherd, and when he does that, he is leading us. Without him, we're lost. But with him, he's our north star, he's the compass, he's the guide. There's hope in that, right? Not sure what to do about this, not sure what to do about that. All those questions from the beginning. How do I handle it? We can be led by our creator. How beautiful. And so we see that Jesus is a good shepherd changing everything because of that. Secondly, we can see that Jesus changes everything in verse 14 when he says, I know my own. I know my own and my own know me. The second way that he's changing everything for a believer is he is knowing us. Like he's pursuing who we are as an individual. It's not this distant, hey, I'm a long ways away relationship with God. But if the Holy Spirit is in us, we, we, we get to be in a close relationship with him, which is where we're being known in a way that, that we can never be known by any human on earth. Jesus is the good shepherd, knows us. He's our leader, he guides us, but he's also our friend. To the disciples, he was the, the God in flesh reality of Psalm 139. You've, you've maybe heard Psalm 139 before, and just as I read it, think through like, oh, this is actually what Jesus with skin on was like among his disciples. And that's who we get to interact with through the Holy Spirit as well. And so in, in Psalm 139, David's writing, and he says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? As Jesus is living among his disciples, He's walking with them in that way. But if we're following after Christ, if we're within his family, we got a, a new name, and because we got a new name, we get this promise where we're not just among Jesus as his disciples were, but we have Jesus dwelling within us 
through the work of his spirit. The end of John talks about that. It's crazy to like try to wrap our minds around and, and to people who aren't following after Christ. It's like, dude, that's weird. Like you believe that the Holy Spirit is like working in you. And he's working in you because of like the work of Christ, the good shepherd, but because of the plan of the Father, like what? It is wild. But there's nothing more like amazing that we could put our hope in because the more we seek after him, the more it makes sense. And so Jesus, he's a good shepherd changing everything in that way. He knows us. Without Christ, without a relationship with our creator, we're confused, we're misunderstood, we're many times lonely. But with Christ, we're led, we're being known valued, treasured, comforted. Now, does that mean we always feel known by God? No. Does that always mean you really sense this like closeness in your relationship with him and in your relationship with other believers? No. We got to remember where we're at. We're living in a broken world. And so our sin's going to show up sometimes. There's sin throughout the world. There's, there's the works of darkness, the wolves, remember? And so because of that, it's not always going to feel that way. But in God, through Christ and his spirit in us, we get to experience this deep connection in a way that is so different than any other relationship on earth. And it's this sense of just being known by God that that changes perspective for us. Third way, we see Jesus changing everything in verse 15. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Another thing he brings change in our lives through is his protection of us. Jesus laid down his life on our behalf so that we could live. He protects us. He took our punishment as sinners before a holy God. He bore our sin on his back on the cross and died on our behalf. He protects us in that way as believers. He protected us through uh, satisfying the resurrection promise. He protects us still through sending his Holy Spirit. He protects us still through his bride, the church. He protects us still through the defending he does against the works of darkness. In Christ, we have someone protecting us. It doesn't mean there's no fear ever. It doesn't mean that it's always easy going forward and that we always feel protected. But what is the good shepherd doing in our lives amid the valleys that that come up? If we're running to him, we're experiencing his protection. If we're turning to him, we're experiencing that protection. And sometimes, by the grace of God, we're not even pursuing him. And he is protecting us even maybe when we're in the, the deepest hole that we've ever been in. When we were doomed for slaughter because of our sin and separation from God, he became a shepherd who died on our behalf for 30 pieces of silver. There was a passage I was looking at in Zechariah today, and I had never like noticed it before, and there's not time to, to read it. But if you're taking notes, write down Zechariah 11, 7 to 14 is crazy, and it's good. Um, we're going to read the first verse. From that, though, in Zechariah eleven seven, it says, So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. He, he goes on, the, the, the prophet there, to write about these 30 pieces of silver that later come up in the New Testament when, when Judas is taking this payment of 30 pieces of silver to put Christ on the cross. Jesus protects us because of the work that he did on the cross. He went on our behalf. He protects us, and without him, we're separated from God. Without him, we're exposed to the elements of the world. And without him, we're uncared for. We're caught in the pain of this life, the sickness of this life, and an eternal death and separation from him. But with him, we're led, we're known, we're protected. The final way we're going to see in verses 9 and 10 of Jesus changing everything is the way in which he feeds us. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yes, I know that was in Zach's text last week. 
But it's the same Jesus, the the door, who is also the good shepherd that's leading us in and out of the sheepfold. Okay, so if you can just picture a sheepfold, I think he maybe had a picture of a sheepfold up there last week. But a sheepfold back in the day, at least most of the time, I think, was circular. And there was a small doorway. And the shepherd would lay across that doorway in front of it at night and guard those sheep. He's protecting them. That's what the shepherd did. And in Christ, we have him protecting us in that way. And we also have him feeding us. He's not just protecting us at the door, but he's taking us in and out of the fold so that we can experience good pasture. Right? Sheep don't do all their grazing right in the fold. They go out. They go on the valley. They they, they go here. They go there. Mountaintop. Wherever the grass is, that's where they're being led so that they can get food. Jesus protects us as the door and shepherd, but he's also feeding us. He's providing. He's leading us to the stream. Through Christ, we can have life and have it abundantly because why? We're we're getting fed by him. Ezekiel 34 shows the way in which he feeds us. This will be on the screen. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. We see Jesus in this analogy there, his Old Testament prophet showing the way in which this coming shepherd would care for the flock. In that text, we see him feeding. In that text, we see him protecting. If we're seeking after Christ, if you're following after him, a joy that we get to hold on to is that we have hope in the middle of the valley Because we got someone who's caring for all of our needs. Jesus, as the good shepherd in our life, changes everything. And if you've given your life to Christ and you're experiencing that, it's life-giving, isn't it? And if you've given your life to Christ and you're in a season or have had a season where you didn't sense that, it's infuriating. Because it's like, Lord, I I thought I was pursuing you and then something got me off track and and where are you? I don't sense you now. And the beautiful thing about the good shepherd is he's there with open arms and kind of the age-old classic verse that people are always bringing up. It's like, yeah, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. He is going to go after us when we're scattering far because he loves us. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's protecting us. He's feeding us. He's changing everything as we're seeking him. And so it's a lot of information. How do we practically apply this? Like, how do we practically experience the good shepherd in our life? A a simple little analogy came to mind the other day when I was uh, on a little walk with uh, my, my small family, married to my wife, Peyton. We got two little kids. We're trying to figure it out. Definitely not perfect parents yet. Um, Man, it's tough, but we were doing a walk at this lake that's close to our house, and uh, right away we just like started, and boom, there goes the boy. He's like running down the trail, and I'm like, well, that's not good. There's a lake up there, and there's also like a million sticks on this trail because they don't like uh, do good upkeep on it or whatever, and so I, I immediately like stopped him, and I was like, Woods, like you got to follow dad. You, you got to follow dad, and I said a few more other things I don't remember precisely what, but I remember that line of like, Woods, you gotta follow dad. And what I meant by that was dad is gonna lead. What I meant by that was dad knows where we're going. Dad is gonna keep us safe. Dad is understanding that you do not. And so what did I do? We, we went on the walk and I tried to lead him. I, I tried to redirect him like the kids too. So he's like going off the trail. I'm like, hey, like get back over here, please. Trying to draw some boundaries. He was behind me but in front of my wife. And it's like, all right, we're we're trying to help lead him somewhere. We're leading him. We're we're trying to protect him from going into the lake, right? 
I let him, directed him, encouraged him, gave him some freedom. Like I, I picked him up and I let him touch the water and not fall in. I let him run, but not get lost. And I cleared the path to help him not get hurt. How do we practically get led by the good shepherd? We show up in that sort of way, believing that God is a good shepherd over us as people who are here on earth just trying to figure it out. Like, we don't know that if we go to water, that's bad. We don't know that if we run on a trail full of sticks, that that's bad. And so we, in humility, have to realize we're the sheep. In that analogy, we're the two-year-old. And it's like, Lord, I must follow you. Lord, you, you must lead me. You, you must know me because I don't feel known. Lord, you, you must be the one protecting me because I can't protect myself. And Lord, feed me because I can't get food on my own. We need the good shepherd. And how do we practically experience the good shepherd? We show up in our relationship with Christ if we're following after him like that. We, sh- we show up humble. And so when, when we're at rock bottom, we show up and we say, God, I am at rock bottom right now. And here's a list of why. I want to be honest before you. And then we listen. We look at his word. We pray. We ask for insight. We, we consider who's around me that might be able to help shepherd. They're not going to be perfect. And we just come before the Lord in that way with humility. How do we practically experience the good shepherd? We let him lead. We let him know us. We let him protect us and feed us. And so this evening, whether you're in the sheepfold of God, meaning part of God's family through Christ, or whether you're in a spot where you're, you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet, and if that's you, that is very okay, because any person who is a Christian at one time was not a Christian. And so for the believers in here, it's like, oh, we, we understand. Like, I've been there before. And so whether you're following after Christ as the good shepherd in your life or whether you're not in his family, not adopted into the family of God, I believe John 10 has some things for us that practically apply so that we can experience him. Jesus as the good shepherd has something for us. And so for those who aren't following after Christ or maybe you're not sure if you're following after Christ, do you ever get tired of playing lead? Do you get tired of trying to figure it out on your own? Do you get tired of trying to figure out the compass that you, you don't know how it works? Do you get tr- tired of just trying to solve all these problems on your own and you feel all this pressure because all the ways you're trying to solve the problems just aren't working? Do you ever get tired of that? Do you ever get tired of the, the feeling of being unknown, either misunderstood with your, your own self or completely misunderstood by other people? Do you ever feel vulnerable, not protected in life, not safe in life, insecure in certain moments? Do you ever feel like you're just eating spoonfuls of sugar and you're just like trying to feed yourself and it's just not satisfying? If that's you, I believe in the text we're seeing there's a good shepherd who wants to lead people who are ready to show up before him and say, yeah, I'm the created being. What can I do? Lord, here I am. So there's three do's and don'ts up on the screen. And the the first one is do surrender. Jesus as the door, as the shepherd, welcomes people into his flock every day. Maybe this evening, maybe this weekend, maybe sometime this year as you're processing stuff with other people. Maybe that's happening for you this year. Do surrender. How do we practically experience the good shepherd? We do surrender to him. Get that new last name in Christ, part of his flock. To those who have allowed Christ to to be the shepherd in your life, do let Christ comfort and guide you. Something that often happens is we make a commitment to Christ, but then for whatever reason, we're resistant to this idea of letting him in our life. And we just like kind of keep our distance. And when it gets tough, we just kind of keep our distance. And so if we're going to experience the good shepherd, we we have to come before him with honesty, with transparency, with walls down. Like we got to go walls down with somebody. And and why not the Lord? Like it makes sense to go walls down before the Lord because he's the builder. Like he he knows human (laughs) way better than we do. 
And so come before him, walls down. Let Christ comfort and guide you. How do you do that practically? Through confession, through coming before him and saying, Lord, I am not doing well here. Lord, I don't think I'm doing well in this place. Would you walk with me? Would you give me insight? Would you put people in my life to help me journey through this? It's confessing. It's confiding in God. Like, we're not programmed in our walk with Jesus to just, like, do Sunday and then, like, a small group, and then it's just, like, that's it. No, like, as we're following after Christ, if we want to experience him more, we interact with him more. And so confiding, what I mean by that is we're just showing up before him with honesty, right? Like, a lot of times we'll do this thing where it's like, well, I don't want to, like, pray to God when I'm mad at him. It's like, well, I mean, he knows you're, you're mad, so you might as well. Like, like, what do you have to lose? And being like, hey, let me be honest with you. He's like, okay, like... <laughs> You can, and as we're honest with him, that's when we get to engage in a much deeper way with God. Like, I remember thinking that it's really unholy to interact with God in that way, but it's like, well, we have Job in Scripture, a pretty good example of a guy being very raw before God. And so are you showing up before him to let him comfort you and guide you? The only way he's going to comfort you and guide you, if you is if you, like, lay yourself before him in that way. Do let him comfort and guide. Do trust God's goodness amid the valley, right? We already talked about how, how valleys happen. And when, when we're in the valley, we got to lean into him, not away from him. When we're in the valley, we, we need to lean into other people. Doesn't mean we, we take every word that they say and, and believe that it's completely true always. Because again, like worldly shepherds, they got their limits. But we come before the Lord when we're in the darkness of the valley. And, and it's like, all right, Lord, like this is where I'm at. We, we do that so that we can connect with God. Three don'ts for all of us, myself included. Don't treat Jesus as just the door. For some, maybe you made this commitment to Christ at seven years old, and it's like, yep, uh, he was my doorway into the faith. Like, if this is a sheepfold, like, he let me in, and it's amazing. And then it's like, thanks, Lord. And, and then we, like, walk through life just thinking, like, yeah, he, he's my salvation giver. Praise be to God. And then we just kind of leave the relationship behind. So, so we can't do that if we're wanting to experience the good shepherd. Like, we can't treat him as just the door. He's the good shepherd. Don't let the sheep replace the shepherd, though it might be tempting. This is, uh, I'll just knock on Salt Company a little bit, but, like, uh, I've been part of it, and I directed it. So I think it's fine, right, Zach? I don't know. In Salt Company, it's really easy to put uh, your trust in another sheep, Right, so, so even like the most wise pastor in the world, whoever that might be, I don't know, the, the, the most holy Christian, whichever one that is, it's tempting to put your hope in them. It's tempting to, to, to treat them like the good shepherd. And it's like, man, until I talk to Billy on the phone, Billy the great Christian, like, I'm not going to be good. And it's like, well, actually, go to the Lord. Don't be tempted to treat shepherds of this world who are sheep as the good shepherd. And so if you're a salt leader or, or a disciple maker and you're not a salt leader, and that's fine. Like we were about disciple makers. Like, like if that's you, do what you can to encourage people towards the Lord. Don't try to fix their problems. Like here, understand, walk with them, give advice as the Lord brings it, but push them to the Lord. Because what happens when we don't do that is we get a whole bunch of, well, maybe not a whole bunch. We, we get people like looking to us and then once we mess up or, or once we say the wrong thing, they're like, my gosh, Christianity, Jesus Christ, worth following? No, like there was this one person who was in the faith and they said this thing. If you're a disciple maker, point them to the shepherd. Don't try to play the role of Christ. Imitate Christ, follow after him, but we're doing our best as followers of Christ when we're pushing other people to him as well. And so don't let sheep replace the shepherd. And the third thing, don't self-shepherd once you're caught in the deep and dark valley. Don't just say, you know what, I'm going to hold the staff for a little bit. I'm going to kind of do my own sheep herding. I'm just going to blaze the trail. It's tempting. I'm sure I do it all the time. Got to bring that before the Lord. Just trying to solve things on our own. We're good at that we got to be able to turn to the Lord in that dark valley rather than just trying to wear this huge burden, act like everything's fine, and solve it on our own. 
practically, I think, a great way to interact with Christ as our shepherd, and I haven't done this in a little while, and so I should also do it. Um, there's something about writing raw before the Lord. Has so there something big you're holding on to or something really confusing you don't understand? And you haven't like maybe brought that before other people or you have brought that before other people. I would challenge you to do a vacation with God in the next week, which means just go carve out a bit of time. Go be with the Lord. Maybe it's in nature because that's good for you. Maybe it's in your dorm room because that's good for you. Go somewhere where it's like, man, I can just like focus and just write out before the Lord. Like, man, this is where I'm at right now. And you can use whatever sort of language you want. Like what's in your heart is... I mean, it's there anyway. And say, Lord, like, this is tough. And in response to that time, following after being very raw before the Lord, go to a place like Psalm 139 and be encouraged in a way that you maybe haven't been before. Where it's like, man, you've done what, Lord? You've searched me and you've known me. You know all my thoughts. There's something really reassuring to be raw before God in that way. And then to go to him and be like, oh, man, this is the king of kings and lord of lords and shepherd. Because, man, this is what I need in this valley. And so consider next, in this next week, carving out some time, doing that with the Lord. Yeah, it might be weird. You've probably never done it before. I had never done it before. And I was just like, There's, this is refreshing. Because I'm bringing before God this stuff so that I might let him comfort and guide me through it. And you don't have to do it through writing. You can do it in other ways. Maybe it's like, yeah, it's while I'm behind the wheel and I'm like talking out loud and it's like loud to God and I'm mad. And, and that's a way to come before the Lord and, and, and be real. But I would say, don't stop at that. <laughs> like, you better pick up the word and, and, and meet him in a way after that where it's like, all right, now feed me. Fill me up because this is where I've been at. We have a good shepherd his name is Jesus. If you haven't followed after him, consider him tonight. And if you are following after Christ, let's not just treat him like a door. Let's treat him as the good shepherd that he is. And so, uh, Lord, uh, just thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that words from so long ago can be alive. They can be sharpening us. And, uh, God, I pray that we'd be humble enough to allow your spirit to do that work in our life. God, we're not here for long. And, Lord, would we use the years that, that were given by you would we use the, the breath that's in our lungs that, that you've given to us? Would we use it for your glory? And God, would we see that as creator, you're good. And because you're good, you have a good plan for us. So Lord, I pray that you just break down walls in, in our hearts so that we would go after you as a shepherd in our life, rather than trying to solve things on our own and, and rather than trying to just, you know, have this conversation with a pastor, have this conversation with another person. God, I pray that we just go before you in a way that we haven't before so that we can experience the, the Psalm 23 shepherd that you are. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.